This is the Australian Water Association podcast series. Hello, my name's Ellen Fanning. I'm joined by Angus Seabury. Angus is the Manager, Environment and Sustainability at Hunter Water Corporation. And he's co-authored a paper titled PFAS in Wastewater. What is all the PFOS about? (laughs) Very witty. Thank you for joining us, Angus. (laughs) Thanks, Ellen. This uh, paper focuses on the presence of these uh, PFAS in the wastewaters from urban and industrial sources. What's a PFAS? So PFAS stands for perfluoroalkyl substances. Um, people may have heard them also being referred to as um, PFCs, which is perfluorinated chemicals. Um, and I guess they're, they're chemicals that have been manufactured. They're, they're not found naturally in the environment, but they've been used in manufacturing for a long time, probably probably since the 50s through to the 1990s. I guess in the early 2000s, um, there was growing concern about their potential environmental impacts, and 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 so manufacturing. Have been declining since then, uh, but they're still present in in the environment, and they're very persistent. They they don't break down easily at all, and so um, they they're persistent and they bioaccumulate um, in organisms and get passed down through food chains, and they're toxic too. So they were used in the manufacture of what food wrappers and that sort of thing. Yeah, so um, a lot in the clothing and textile um, industries um, used a lot in food packaging. Things like um, Scotchgard, um, Gore-Tex, Teflon, the chemicals have got carbon and a fluorine bond that's very stable from, and thermally and chemically stable and the chemicals have these unique properties that actually make them repel water and oils and so that was why they became so popular in, in certain products. So um, they were used a lot in things like metal plating industry and also used in um, aviation, hydraulic fluids. And probably one of the most well-known uses of these chemicals are in firefighting foams. Because they have that property of repelling the oil and the water. Exactly, yeah. And so Hunter Water then instigates this proactive testing for for PFAS in in 2016. How did that come about? Well, we had been, I guess, involved um, in doing some investigations on our own water systems because we're We've got um, drinking water sources quite close to the to the RAF base at Williamstown. At Williamstown, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but we had some customers in in around that Williamstown area that wanted to connect to the sewer, and so we thought it would be diligent of us to um, to understand what the baseline levels of these chemicals are in our in our wastewater systems. Mm-hmm. And it was then, I guess, we we started doing some testing, and we we found that the, these chemicals, and then we so we decided to expand the monitoring program. And um, we've since learned quite a lot. And when you found the um, this these traces, were they found in in high volumes or low volumes? Uh, interestingly, most plants have been found in low volumes, um, so at, at levels that that aren't really a concern to us. But we did find levels at one of our treatment plants at reasonably high levels, um, and that was due to a particular trade waste customer that had discharged into the sewer and we had to actually suspend their trade waste licence and we then instigated uh, you know, a lot of more detailed monitoring around that particular treatment plant. We, we started monitoring in the receiving waters and we actually notified all the, the water users down, downstream of that treatment plant so that they could take basic precautions about the use of that water. Um, and it's taken us probably, probably 16 months before the, the levels have returned back to normal. We, we actually, as I said, we 
suspended the trade waste permit for that customer and have since gone into, into liquidation for separate reasons, but we've seen the levels drop down. Um, but it's just taken 16 months because the, the chemicals tend to get um, recirculated through the waste streams at the treatment plant. And so you do find that, that uh, and they do accumulate in the sludge as, in, as well. So when, when the material goes through the, the treatment process, it partitions partly into the effluent and get dis discharged into the environment, but also gets into the biosolids. And we use our biosolids in land application programs, so that was a concern as well. So it's very persistent stuff. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. And, and once it gets into the into the system and into the environment, it's, it, it'll stay there for, for many years. The, the half-life for PFOS is 41 years, um, and for PFOA, it's uh, something like 92 years. So this stuff, when it's in the environment, it'll, it stays there for, for a long, long time. So you've been doing this um, ongoing monitoring. Um, is, is that in response to some regulatory requirement? No, there's, there's no regulation on, on us at the moment. It was really just to, from a proactive stance for us to understand what our baseline limits were, um, or baseline levels were. And once we started monitoring, we, we, we were finding it, we, we then take, took proactive measures to, um, to try and manage it. As I said, the main plant that we had was, was um, at Farley Wastewater Treatment Works, and we ended up having to actually send some of the biosolids to landfill because through consultation with the New South Wales EPA, we, we made a call that um, even though there was no regulatory limits there, we made a call that it was probably unsafe to put that into into um, land application program. And overall, what did you find looking across the five treatment plants? What were the results? Really, that most most sites it wasn't an issue, but um, there are certain industries that that or trade waste customers that we will be monitoring more closely to try and get to a point where we can actually put um, limits on our trade waste permits and to, to manage the, the, I guess, the these chemicals and that, so that they're, they're managed at the source by the, the trade waste customers rather than finding their way into our into our wastewater systems that can then escape into the environment. So I guess what we've identified is that we need to do more work and, and liaise more with the regulators and the wastewater industry in general so that when regulation does come into place, we're on the front foot. What's been the government response to your findings? Um, I guess certainly the government focus has, at the moment has been on the on the RAF bases. So because of the contamination at those sites is, is, is so much greater, that's really been where the attention has been, been focused. But the EPA have been very supportive of the work we've done. We've been providing the New South Wales EPA with regular updates um, about the monitoring results. And they're, they're really interested in, in what we've been finding because they're They've been sort of doing much wider um, studies around the, the state to try and get a better handle on these chemicals and, and then making decisions about how it should be regulated into the future mm -hmm. and, and what guidelines we should be using, adopting for um, understanding what levels of these chemicals are going to cause concerns. So you've been at the forefront of this, getting this baseline data together. What has Hunter Water concluded about the management um, and the cost of managing PFAS levels? Um, well, certainly what we've identified is that it's, it's going to be more cost-effective to actually treat the, the chemicals at the source. So we really want to tackle the issue through our trade waste agreements with our customers. Um, that means working with, with those customers to make them aware of the issues and, and eventually get to a point where we've got trade waste limits on these chemicals. Um, I guess it's it's also liaising and it's it's building us building bridges with the the regulators too and helping 
them to understand um, what we're finding in our wastewater system um, and I guess yeah, working with our customers to, to help better manage these issues. The only one question we haven't asked Angus is you said that um, you issued warnings when you found higher than uh, acceptable levels or concerning levels. Warning about what? What's the risk? Yeah, so we did that in consultation with the Department of Health and New South Wales EPA, but the, the, the issue at the, um, of, along the Farley Wastewater Treatment Works receiving water was if people were using those that water to um, water chickens or for milk production, that was the biggest concern. We would also encourage them, if they did have off-river drinking water for their to livestock, to provide that um, to their livestock off-river. Why? Well, basically because there was levels of PFAS in the, in the water that, although it wouldn't have a, a, an, any immediate impact on livestock, there was the potential for long-term issues, I guess, in terms of the livestock and ingestion of the, the water. We, we're actually currently doing some work where we're catching some fish in that same creek and working with the EPA to, to, to see whether there's any accumulation of these chemicals in the fish. So it's a, bit, it's a bit of an unknown. It is. There's still a lot of unknowns. And I guess the levels of contamination we're talking about are, are still much smaller than what we're, we're find, what they're finding at the the defence bases and and the airports. But it's still an issue that we would like to understand more and and to like to do more work on. It's a fascinating uh, subject and one that uh, you've been as an organisation right out the front on, isn't it? Yeah, and I guess I guess we certainly didn't. Uh, it was because of the circumstances that we found ourselves in, but it, it has been very good to be able to do, do some work that, that um, will help the rest of the industry, hopefully. Angus, great to talk to you. Thanks, Ellen. This is the Australian Water Association podcast series.